Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads on the Performing Arts. Jill Landreth. I am the artistic director of Metropolitan Ballet. I also am on dance faculty at Wichita State University and I have my own dance school. What challenge are you bringing to us today and why is it important to you? I'll give you a little brief background on the topic and my relationship to the topic. I've been involved in the performing arts since I was four and before I was four I remember sitting in the car while my mother was in ballet class. So an entire lifetime of the performing arts, which I'm really pleased to be making a living in the performing arts in Kansas, where one doesn't think that's possible. And I feel that they're very important for many aspects of your life and your education. But it's trying to get new audiences and keep the audiences when a lot of people feel like the performing arts are dying off. Tell me about the performing arts. What's in the performing arts basket? We typically depend on having an audience there viewing what we're doing as we're doing it. So it's happening live as opposed to, say, a movie which is recorded. We have our live audience right there with us interacting emotionally, physically, mentally with what we're doing as we're doing it. The time aspect of it where somebody would be willing to take that big chunk of their life to go do literally nothing. We live in such a capitalistic mm -hmm. society where just going and spending that chunk of time for yourself and enjoying something can be difficult for people to be like, yeah, I'm not really getting much out of this. Well, and also when you say sitting and enjoying something, if you've never experienced it, how do you know if you'll enjoy it? I performed in Europe where there's centuries of tradition of people going to the theater. That's one of their activities that they do. The theater I was with had so many activities every day that they had to have alternative performance spaces. The orchestra was going on and the musical theater group was going on all in the same night every day. We don't quite have that tradition, more particularly in the Midwest, of, hey, you know, let's go see a theater piece, let's go see a dance piece, let's go hear the orchestra. So it's trying to get someone to realize that, yeah, they would like it. And, you know, oh, well, I've seen that on YouTube. Well, no, you would like being in the audience and actually experiencing this live, which is a whole different aspect. Performing arts, the definition that you gave, certainly includes what you do in dance. It could include a lot of other things, oh, like yeah. everything from opera to oh, yeah. symphony. Right. How much common cause is there between those different performing arts? Could we get you guys all down at a table to have lunch and talk about your common challenges? Or do you all see each other as being very different and distinct aspects of the performing arts? 
we have gotten together in the past and shared our common concerns, scheduling concerns, so you try not to schedule at the same time as another event so that your audience doesn't have to choose so we don't dilute the audience. And we have concerns now with performance venues, trying to get our voices heard on that. I don't think it's, we're all in our own little island of thought, this is my art and you do yours, that we're all interested in each other's arts because we're all stronger when we're all together. Talk to me about this problem of audience and getting audiences engaged. When you think about the challenge of audiences and the performing arts, what concerns you the most? In getting the audience, the concerns I have are people tend to want to go to things that they know the story of. There's a wonderful ballet. It's Capella. Nobody knows the story, so people avoid it. They know the story of Cinderella, so they may go and see it. It's the familiarity, but you also want them to grow as an audience, but if they're not in the building, you can't help them grow. And then also, you know, when you grow up with the arts, that's what you do with your life, and you go and you look for the arts. When you don't, you never think of, oh, you know, I could go watch a play. And we do a certain amount of free performances that are just anyone can walk up to, but they cost us. So again, it gets to a little bit of revenue. One thing that I think about a lot when it comes to ballets, and I grew up doing ballet, so I can go to a ballet and I can understand what they're doing with their body and the Mm -hmm. story that they're trying to tell. I'm guessing for somebody who grew up in like a sports family or hasn't had that, where you understand that a light touch is something Mm -hmm. in ballet, or you understand the nuances of what you're trying to say. Do you think that that could possibly be a reason why some people maybe go one time and be like, this is not for me. I did not understand what's going on here. Or do you think that that's like, no, if you go, you're going to understand. You just need to pay attention. A lot of it is not understanding. A lot of people, when they go and they're like, oh, I had no idea that this was going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, it's that familiarity. It's not uncomfortable. You know what's going on. You're fine. It's not threatening in any way. You'd think that it would be transferable. I come from a sports background, so it's movement. And I also find it's interesting when I get people who are not dancers to try certain movements dancing, and then all of a sudden they realize, wow, that's hard. Or, wow, this actually takes something to do. Or when I have them try choreography when they're not dancers, because all of a sudden, oh, somebody actually has to make up those steps. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to put them together and... Make it look good. Make it look good. <laughs> right. And they never think to that side of it, too, which is something, you know, that perhaps having a chance to become more familiar with it would be great. But again, if they don't hear about it, how will they know to come? Mm-hmm. And we are certainly full of nonverbal communication in ballet. You just have to be able to sit and watch. And, you know, you don't even particularly have to know the story. Mm-hmm. It's what do you get out of it? Mm-hmm. It's just hard for people to go in and go, well, but I have to know what I'm supposed to get. Yes. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a meaning in this? I was like, but what, what did you think the meaning was? Let's have a conversation about what you thought you saw. And then I can talk about my interpretation, and then, I don't know, maybe you can change my mind. Maybe I did see that. You're right. (laughs) I didn't see that story unfolding, but you're right. That kind of did happen. I used to go and see a lot of dance performances with a friend of mine, and I would be absolutely in love with the piece, and she would, you know, afterwards, like, that was the worst thing I ever saw. What do you mean it was the worst thing you ever saw? That was like, and you get this long discussion. I was like, I didn't understand, but wait, it was so obvious. Which is really entertaining for us. 
to share our opinions that way. I love to find people's perceptions of performing arts when they have no exposure. Mm. I produce the Nutcracker, I direct the Nutcracker and have for decades. At one point in time, I went to see other people's productions. So I was at the Tulsa Ballet's production of the Nutcracker and sitting there, you know, and watching the... And there was a little girl who was seven who was sitting next to me who had never seen a ballet before, and she had this running dialogue going on, you know, like the whole... And during intermission, the mom apologized to me. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is my target audience. <laughs> I want to know what someone who has no exposure, what they take away from it. Mm -hmm. And it was the greatest thing. I'm like, wow, this is exactly why I'm here. And, and out of the mouth of the young. You know, oh, they yeah. Don't, they don't lie. No. <laughs> when and it she comes was just constant, bless her little heart. Okay, add more dress swirls. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay, got it. When I said audience, another thing is people have a perception of when I go to a performance and I'm in a theater, I have to dress a certain way, I have to behave a certain way, it's very stuffy and I can't enjoy myself. I tell people, wear what you want. And if you like something, show your appreciation. You don't have to wait for the end. You can, in the middle of something, go, well done, you know? And if you don't like something, well, you can think mentally to yourself, well, I didn't like that. It's not really appropriate for anybody to go, oh, that was bad, boo. It's a lot more of an engaging atmosphere than people think it's going to be, you know? I want to have you play along with me in a little mm -hmm. thought experiment here. And I'm gonna snap my fingers and suddenly everything that you've wanted to change has changed. Let's just say that that has happened. You have the audiences that you want and everybody is totally enthused about the arts. To talk to me about what's changed. What's happening now that we've fixed this and audiences have gotten really engaged that isn't happening right now? First of all, artists are respected members of the community. People don't go, oh yeah, but what do you do for a living? That it's actually, yes, you're an artist. You have more engagement with the community that becomes more interactive. When you have all of those things, there's your audience, they're thrilled to be there, and it makes the creation of more art possible. With more audiences comes a desire by the public for more performances, so therefore you get to do your art more and bring it to more people. I just wanted to add, because you had mentioned artists being seen as artists, mm -hmm. and you had also mentioned the Midwestern of it all. So I, I would add that artists would be seen as artists no matter where they live. So if they're mm -hmm. a dancer, they don't have to be a dancer in Los Angeles, California right. to be seen as being a successful dancer. But if you can make a living dancing here right. in Wichita, Kansas, you yourself are also a performer. You're also a dancer. You should not get any less respect than somebody who's doing that as a living somewhere else. Correct. And through all of the performing art, that should definitely be the way. That sounds like a rich cultural place to live where I'm going to grow and expand as a person as a result of living there. What do you think keeps us stuck from getting there? There's a, a lot of different facets of that. To some degree you say how much do we spend as a country, as a community on the arts per capita as opposed to countries in Europe on a more local level. Can we make it easier to get to the arts you know, they just changed the parking policy. And a lot of people are going to see that as maybe being harder. It's going to be harder to find parking. It's going to cost me more. That's one more reason not to go. What's the new parking policy? You scan a QR code, whatever, oh, QR God. 
They do have a phone number if you mm -hmm. don't have a smartphone, and it is a per-day charge oh. as opposed to feeding the meter. Mm -hmm. So in one sense, you know, when I'm at the theater for a long period of time, I don't have to run out and chuck quarters into it. Mm -hmm. But on the other sense, on occasion, I have to run down and be there for half an hour, and I'm paying for a whole day's parking for that. As I understand it, again, I just read it this morning, mm. but it's changed for all the parking around Century 2. The perception of it is that now it's going to be one more thing that's going to make it harder for me to get there, so I'm just going to stay home. Yeah, so what you're telling me is grandma's going to get confused. She's going to get a <laughs> ticket, and she's not going to want to come back to the ballet next not time. Not grandma, not grandma. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, in our perfect world, mm -hmm. it would be easily accessible, I can get there easily, the tickets could be affordable, and I would be motivated to go often. Are you ready to start putting the idea of everyone leading into practice? Join us for a new one-day program based on KLC's best-selling book. Sign up at kansasleadershipcenter.org. And don't worry, you won't have to listen to my voice or Brianna's voice teaching the whole day. We'll be delighted to have you a part of the When Everyone Leads community. Why isn't it so much more accessible and affordable? What keeps it from being that? Well, I know to put on a production, it costs quite a lot of money for theater rental. Your wonderful stagehands, and I love the stagehands I work with, but they cost money. The costuming costs money. The music costs money. Everything costs money, which has to be reflected someplace. So often ticket prices help offset that cost. So you putting on the production, try your best to minimize that cost as much as possible, but you do have to charge for something. Right. So it can be difficult to try to figure out what is that good sweet spot where right. I'm still making money and helping these dancers mm -hmm. make money as well, paying the stagehands, paying for everybody uh -huh. who's involved in this production but still make it so people want to come and don't think you're trying to jip them out or something because they don't understand everything that has been involved in this. Right, and to me, the arts shouldn't be exclusive. They should be accessible to everyone. And often price, I can't afford to go. And again, then you get to the, I can buy a movie ticket and I have more options of when I go and where I go to, you know, this is when the symphony is playing, so that's when I need to go. So I have fewer options that way. They can all act as deterrents. And trying to remove those deterrents to make the arts accessible to everyone, that's kind of a thing I think about a lot. Yeah, I mean, and that feels like a competing value that we talk about at KLC, the value of making the arts accessible to everyone, which is something mm -hmm. that you try to uphold, might come into conflict with the value of funding it and putting on the types mm -hmm. of productions that you do and you're choosing this to try and make it more accessible at the expense of things that might be more financially beneficial, which is a great choice for society, but maybe a bad choice for the sustainability of the arts in the long term. At least only the people who can afford to see it who are the same people who are always going to come to see it and be able to afford to see it. And you're not expanding universe that's, of people involved. Yeah, and so that's when, you know, when I mentioned earlier, you know, you have your old audience, by which I mean the people who come all the time, and then trying to get a new audience need to find a new way of mentally accessing the arts. Oh, okay, I want to go see that. Or getting younger audiences to come in so they grow up with the habit of seeing it. And that's 
quite the undertaking. You've got a couple of kids, you want to take them to the performance. Well, now we've got to park and walk. Mm -hmm. And now we go in and then we have to sit down without squirming, which is why I like the free performances that we do in the parks because the kids can run around and watch and enjoy and then they get to interact with the dancers at the end. But again, we have expenses that are along with that. Who are the people that are currently involved in trying to get people into the performing arts and get those butts in the seats? There are many people who are involved in that. From, for instance, the organization I'm with, the board of directors, the marketing people trying to do that. People who work with young kids, teaching them like dance. They're involved as well, appreciating the art form. There's art appreciation courses at the university, for instance, which expose you to the arts, and you're like, oh, wait, okay. So there are people on the educational side, there are people on the business management side, and then the dancers themselves, in some degree, involved in, hey, come and see me, Mm -hmm. which is a smaller group to draw from, all in all, but still an important group. Mm -hmm. What do you think these people value the most? I think... Today, people value experiences, but they don't know what they could be experiencing. I know what I'm experiencing when I go to a baseball game. I don't know what I'm experiencing when I go to a musical theater production, a ballet production, or a symphony. What about people that you'd like to see engaging more or differently? Who are these people? What are they like? What do they value? Who are the people that aren't? as engaged, that you'd love to see come? I would love to see your young adult crowd. There are several opportunities where school children can go and see a performance of music or dance. They're brought in by their school, although COVID kind of cut down on a lot of those trips. Mm -hmm. But the younger adult crowd that then when you know they start having families and this becomes the tradition they bring in their families and we go from there. So I'm gonna call it like I'm gonna go off script. So Bree, it's Brie, usually me. Brie, yeah, it's me this time. So Bree might have to rein me back in. Yeah, but right. like, so I'm thinking about this, this academic I know, a professor named Ron Heifetz. He's been very influential about mm-hmm. the ideas that are in this book. He's a professor at the Harvard University Kennedy School of Government. Mm-hmm. I've said it in his first day of class. His ideas are deeply infused in KLC's ideas. And one of the things that he talks about that's always really resonated with me is, boy, we're going to have to edit this if I get it wrong, but I believe that he was a a, a cellist. He was, uh, he played the cello or the violin or something. Like he played an stringed instrument. There you go. Be vague. (laughs) That'll, That'll get it through. And he characterizes leadership as being an art form. The leader is an artist. And if the leader is an artist, then every artist is a leader. And the characteristics that make you a good performer are also the same characteristics that are required in leadership. Because if you're going to be on on a stage in front of somebody, Mm -hmm. you have to hold their attention. You have to capture them. They have lots of things they can look at, Mm -hmm. lots of things they can do. And you have to do something with that attention. But you can't do it all on your own. There's like a bridge or something. There's like something that has to be extended. And if leadership is an art form, then it's not necessarily a science. There isn't a run of things you can do to exercise leadership, just like there isn't a roadmap for doing every dance successfully. And so I'm interested in this idea of the artist as a leader. And how would we think about or appreciate the performing arts differently 
if we realize that every performance we go to is an act of leadership. Interesting. I've never considered that before. But when you say leadership, performing arts, being the conductor, leading a group together to do something, but even as the individual, yeah. And the ability to communicate something to your target audience, whether it be in a leadership situation at a boardroom table or from the stage, it's all about the communication. And are you successful in that communication? Are you hitting like a brick wall and you're not getting through? Then it becomes frustrating for everybody involved. And as an artist, when you're successful, you know what right then. We clap. Mm -hmm. Yay. Standing ovation. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get that immediate feedback, which then increases. So now you know, okay, that was successful. Let me do that again. You lead the audience into what you're trying to tell or into a different world or lead them into a better knowledge of themselves. I think you told me at one <laughs> point when we were dancing, you had said it to the class oh. at one point, it's like you're dancing with the audience. You want them to give you a response and you're responding to their response and it's literally like you're dancing with them. Yeah, and having been in a production where the audience did not like the production did not care for the subject matter, and you're still required to be there. And sadly, it was in a very small, intimate theater, and there were no wings. So you couldn't exit. <clears throat> you're just waiting there. And it was when I was dancing in Germany and waiting for the audience to applaud so you could bow and leave. But they wouldn't clap because they so did not like. And you're, still, you're so exposed. So what happened was our leader, our director, would lead the audience by sneaking out, going around, sitting, running to the back, and start clapping. And the audience would go, oh. Okay. And it was the quickest bows you've ever seen. Pow, pow, poof. And then <laughs> upstairs to the dressing room. They were lost, and they needed someone to lead them And what do we do now? What do we do with what we just experienced? So yeah, you depend on the audience. Even if they don't like something, your instant feedback while it's going is, let me change this mm -hmm. while I'm right here on the fly so I can get them back. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, It occurs to me like that's everyone's worst fear in performing arts, but also everyone's worst fear in leadership. <laughs> you try to do something and it just doesn't connect. And you're sitting there waiting for the audience to applaud for the people to do their next thing and they just don't do it. And I guess mm -hmm. we all need someone to come around and go to the back of the audience <laughs> and start clapping. So we can whatever that means in leader, yeah, yeah, whatever that means in your form of yeah. leadership. Yeah. But I think it keeps people from doing it. It probably keeps people from appreciating performing arts because they haven't been exposed to it mm -hmm. and they don't want to take the risk. And it keeps them from leading because they don't see themselves as leaders or artists and they don't think people are going to respond to them. So they don't want to take the risk of being rejected. Mm-hmm. Where do our opportunities lie for leadership? So many places, in the performing arts, out of the performing arts, being able to look at the situation and say, I'm in charge of my actions, so first I have to lead myself. And then how can that help lead someone, hopefully, for the better? Together, if we both are leading, then you know, we have twice the pulling power. Mm -hmm. If we all are leading, we have all the power of all of us combined together to affect change. Do you have any anything else before? Yeah. You know, I don't have like a good ending or wrap up. Like, we never you, do. was this a worthwhile <laughs> conversation? Did we get anywhere? Did anything come up for you? What did you think of what we talked about? It made me think of the leadership of the author of the book, how we are all working together. 
for a united strength and solidarity and leading. So we've been on the dance floor, and now we're on the balcony. Seems, oh. seems especially appropriate. Nah, go How on. long were you waiting for, for that joke? Oh, man. <laughs> now I'm going to be the dad joke guy in uh, the podcast. Where's the bell? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what do we want to talk about? What are we thinking about? There's a lot there. What I was saying before we hit record was it was really interesting to hear it from somebody who is a performing artist themselves. As a disclaimer, I work with the Kansas Creative Arts Industries Commission, so I help fund a lot of this stuff. It's not my money, I just help people connect to it. But to hear it from the perspective of the artist instead of a more administrative voice was really, really interesting, and to hear that connection. And who are you, new voice, who has emerged from the ether to speak during... (laughs) I have the joy of being essentially our on-site producer, maybe director. I have to negotiate that salary. But my name is Julian Montes, and I'm the Creative Services Manager here at the Kansas Leadership Center. It makes me wonder how we'd feel differently if we were doing this live in front of an audience full of people. Would it be good? Would it be bad? Would we be better? Would I, like, freeze and not know what to say? Well, the season closer of when everyone... (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't think that I would say everything that... No, I know I wouldn't say everything that came to my mind, because then I'd be scared that I'd be offending Maybe one or two or three or four or five people. But you might be offending people anyway on this yeah, recording. Yeah, I don't have to see them. You don't them. have to see them. <laughs> I don't it's have to the... see them. To force a connection here, that feels like a really tight parallel to just exercising leadership in general. I think we can talk all the talk we want on the couch, mm-hmm. but to go and exercise and do it is a whole different thing. Performative or not, to do the work of leadership in itself is like you got to risk a bit of reputation. you got to risk goofing up a little bit. I was thinking about this while we were sitting there. The times that I've been in performances where things have gone wrong, I was really dependent on whatever technical skill I had to make it work, but otherwise, it was a messy. If we're connecting at the stuff in the book, it's risky to go out there and put yourself on the line, to have something bad happen. And I think there's also a hold to purpose. You just got to keep going. You can't just take one risk in leadership. That's not what taking a risk is about. It's about continually trying to take smart risks, trying to move things forward, trying to keep going even when things get tough, trying to find a way to connect when it's not working. And maybe like one of the reasons people fail at leadership is they either don't try or they give up too early. They take one risk and that's all they have the capacity for. And considering that artists are one of our biggest risk takers, it sort of makes me think people shelling out thousands and thousands of dollars for leadership training. It's not KLCs. You know, my, <laughs> they're wanting someone to tell them how to do leadership when they might be able to learn just as much by going to performance and seeing what it means to hold the stage and what it means to hold people's attention and what it means to power through and connect with people. There is something to be learned there as well as a leadership class. And if you're only looking in one place for where you're learning, you might be depriving yourself of the full range of experiences that could really make you a leader who can influence your community and organization. I loved when you were talking about equating leadership to performing arts, but also adding the audience perspective on what leadership could be. I was like, that is a way that us as audience members 
can lead. We can choose to find the beauty in what's in front of us. We can choose to get immersed because sometimes those performers are putting all they got out there and we're just not taking it. Now I'm thinking, has there ever been a time even off performing, even if it's just a coworker or something where it's like, oh God, they did like a really amazing job at something. Did I give them that acknowledgement to let them know that they were doing a good job or did I just kind of let it go and expect them to know? Because with dancers, you can't let it go. With performers, you can't let it go. Mm -hmm. You have to let them know. Be applaud when you want to. I got to kick it with some people who had been through the ballet a lot and I was about to start clapping. They're like, you don't clap right now. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) But to that end, I was actually a bit surprised to not hear about maybe people that existed in that kind of space or that faction. If we're going to enjoy ballet, there's the right way to enjoy ballet or there's the right way to enjoy this versus just enjoy it. She herself would go to a performance with a friend of hers and they would talk about whether or not they like to dance. You can have different perspectives of the same piece that's out there and have that conversation. So in the Leadership Edge book, there's the things about observation, interpretations, interventions. The idea that art in itself, you observe certain things and the interpretation is there for the taking. It's a good entry point for understanding the differences because you have the same experience and someone can see something totally different Mm -hmm. as you. So it's a way of practicing diagnosis. Whereas when we diagnose in real life, oftentimes the temptation is to say, well, you see something different. Well, you're wrong. It's a little harder Mm -hmm. in a performance like that. So it makes it a good proving ground for actually practicing the skill. And there are school teachers who use paintings to teach observational interpretation skills to school children. To her point, I think this is where she nailed it. People don't know how to enjoy it. What would it look like if we were able to be shown and engage with it? Maybe there's a way to lift the curtain a little bit. Maybe there is room for education, like telling people, this is what you're going to see, and this is what's hard, and these are the things that people are doing, and this is what they mean, or doing it after the fact, or working to sort of bridge. We want to give people the space to make their own interpretations and their own sense of things, but also giving them a sense of what they should technically appreciate Mm -hmm. about what's being delivered. And maybe there's room for the arts community to exercise more leadership in terms of how they talk about what they do and talk about it in a way that meets people where they are. And who is better positioned to do that than an artist? As a creative myself, there are things But it's also a different language still. To make that translation is a skill in itself, too. Yeah, and maybe part of the problem is a performance can be too polished. I think if we want to have people connect with the arts, we're going to have to work to tell more people that this is for me, and here's why. What we're taught as performers is make it look easy. Well, it looks easy, so it must be easy. So what they're doing on stage is nothing. Like, everybody can do that. No, 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 no. We were told to make it look easy. What's ringing in my head, too, is the same kind of thing that happens with managers, people with authority. I think in a way, they're, people are trained to make it look easy, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe it should also be reassuring to us, too, that you can struggle and be hurt and still not have that come across to people. One of the things we teach in programs when we're teaching people how to teach leadership is this idea of presence, of this idea 
idea of staying strong and holding steady in the front of the room. And if we're looking for models or examples of how you need that presence to exercise leadership, then the performing arts is a really great place to turn for, for examples, because that is something you have to do in order for you to give audiences what they're expecting. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Burblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center or on Twitter at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward. I just saw leadership happen. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>